Hello, you're listening to Which Moving Pictures Move Us, and I'm your host, Emma Bolzner. Today, we will be talking about the film Little Women from 2019, starring Saoirse Ronan, Florence Pugh, Emma Watson, and Timothy Chalamet. And with me virtually is my good friend, Hannah. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me back. Thank you for suggesting this film to do on the pod. <laughs> oh, I... I love this movie so much, and I was so excited when it came onto Canadian Netflix uh, on uh, back just before Christmas. Uh, I rewatch. I like watched it twice within a week. <laughs> it was great. I I think it's it's just well we'll get into it, but it's just such a timeless story, and there have mm-hmm. been so many film adaptions. So people listening if you haven't seen this one you've probably seen one of them at least so um the film obviously follows the march sisters joe played by saoirse ronan meg played by emma watson amy played by florence Pugh, and beth played by eliza scanlon as they navigate the beginnings of adulthood and what it means to be a woman in the late 19th century during civil war in america all four have dreams and passions joe wants to be a famous writer meg wants to have a family, Amy wants to be a passionate artist, and Meek Beth wants to play piano with her family surrounding her. When they each go their separate ways, they all realize that nothing can keep them from loving each other and always being a family. So what do we think of Greta Gerwig's adaption, adaptation of Little Women? I cannot say enough good things about this movie. I really can't. Like, where am I even supposed to start? <laughs> I, so I'm most familiar with the, before this version, I was most familiar with Little Women through the 1990s adaptation with Winona Ryder uh, as Joe, which is still an excellent adaptation. That movie is like a, like a warm blanket, I tell ya. Um, yeah. the, the score is so beautiful. The, the coloring of the movie is really beautiful. But I really remember loving how Greta Gerwig interprets this story because the way that the way a lot of Little Women adaptations do Little Women is they go chronologically. They go in the order of the book. They start during that Christmas and then they go through chronologically, which is a fine way to do it. It's an understandable way to do it. But what I liked about Greta Gerwig's adaptation, and they do it this way in the musical version of Little Women as well, is that they start with adult joe they don't start with her as a teenager they start with her when she is already in new york uh writing and trying to make a living that way and we see amy grown up we see a little bit of um we see a little, see a little bit of meg grown up and of beth as well and we meet the characters in their quote-unquote final forms and then the events that happened in the past are told out of order as memories and flashbacks so that it gives you further context for the actions of the characters Mm -hmm. that we know that we first meet as opposed to seeing them grow up which I personally prefer because I like seeing them as their again quote-unquote final forms and then seeing why they turned out that way instead of because when you in the 90s version, when you meet Amy as a child, she is the worst. She is yeah. categorically the worst. And she's yeah, still a Kristen little Dunst. bit of the worst. <laughs> yeah, that's Kristen Dunst. Yeah. Um, and she 
she is still like a little bit the worst when you meet her as a child in this version. But because you meet adult Amy first, you have sympathy for her first. And then you go back and see what she was like as a kid. And you can make those connections. And it ma- it inherently makes the character of Amy more likable. And I'm of the belief that it makes every character more likable because you don't meet them when they're quote unquote immature. You meet them when they're mature and then you see what their life was like when they were all growing up together and it gives those further context for why they say certain things or why they act certain ways or what their relationships are to each other uh, when you get later into the movie and they they touch on uh why amy and joe's relationship is so fractured yeah wow you just said so much and there's so much i need to pick apart here but <laughs> that's the end of the note I'm just kidding <laughs> that's why we love this movie no um I think what makes this version so special is due to the fact that it's not in chronological order like the previous versions to be fair I've never seen the I think there's a version with Katherine Hepburn from the 30s and I've never seen that version but I'm assuming it's, yeah. it's like that too and I Most think are. yeah this one is so special because we are seeing them when they're not together and they're in separate parts, you know, of the world. And um, I think it just makes it more special when we see the flashbacks and how, you know, Greta Gerwig manages to make the color palette change. And you can see in like the, the beginning when we're in the present day, it's so gray and Joe's wearing very like lifeless colors. And then when we go into their childhood or, you know, 10 years before, it's so bright and colorful and their hair is so lovely and their clothes and they each have a different <laughs> style of clothing as well and and we just we just feel so connected and and kind of caught off guard because it's like we're watching a new story because we're all so used to the regular story mm-hmm. and when i was first watching it i I was taking an adaptation studies course at the time, so I was like primed and ready to go into this movie, like looking at it through that lens. Um, and I picked up on the the color filter differences right away. And the analogy I've seen used around that I really, really like for that is like the golden glow of childhood, right? Yeah. Um, and you're right, everything is so much... It's it's not that it's brighter. I think the colors are still the same, but the color treatment is what makes it seem not only brighter, but also warmer yeah. and just like less bleak, I guess, than present day. Because present day doesn't have a lot of great things going for it. When, no. when we pick up in present day, Beth is on her deathbed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not to spoil Little Women for anybody. I think people know. Uh, Beth dies, <laughs> whether or not you've read it. Um, and the way that it's used is so ingenious, especially at the end where there's technically like, quote unquote, two endings, which I have never been able to get out of my head. Um, fun fact, I actually read the book of Little Women this year. I finally did it because oh. when I saw this movie back in February 2020, <laughs> right before a lot of stuff happened, um, it was during uh, Mount Allison was having a strike at that point, a faculty strike, and the Vogue, the local theater was playing it. And so that theater was 
packed with people. It is the most packed I'd ever seen that theater. And Not it was the so wonderful. To be packed. It was so it was so wonderful. And we were all experiencing the movie together. And it was just uh it, it makes me so happy when I think about it. Um But yeah, I just I think about that experience so much. And I remember when I was watching the movie and they show the the book, Little Women, for like the title screen. Um yes. they they show the book that will eventually Joe will eventually write. Um, I remember I had a flashback to when I was in uh, a chapters back in like September and I saw a new edition of Little Women promoting the movie that was a hardcover that looked like that version of the book in the oh, movie. Cool. It it wasn't like as nice. It was, but it had like pictures in the move pictures from the movie in it. And I decided at that point, like, no, I'm not going to get it. But then once I saw the book in the movie, I was like, I have to get that <laughs> specific edition. I have to. And I thankfully had some Christmas gift cards left over uh, for, for chapters. So I ordered it. And then that was February, 2020. And I finally read it this fall. <laughs> so it took me a while to get to it but it was really lovely and i had these versions of the characters in my head and i was like wait why isn't this being told out of out of order why is this being told in order then i was like oh wait yeah that is how the book was written uh i i tried to read i should give it like a revisit i have like my mom's copy when she was a kid and she never got through it. And I didn't get through it either. I got, yeah. like, just before her bookmark. Her bookmark was still in the book. And, <laughs> <laughs> but then I read Little Women and Me. It was kind of, like, around that time, I don't know, 10 years ago or 12 years ago. Yeah. When there was, like, this this phase of, like, having, care, like, normal people from present day go back into the past. And yeah. I really liked that book. And it was, like, just, like, some girl from the present day, I don't know, 20, 2009, going into Little Women as one of the sisters. And I remember really yeah. liking that and enjoying that. But I actually saw it in theaters <laughs> the day after it came out on Boxing yeah. Day. And Ugh. I saw it the next day. <laughs> I saw it on the 26th and the 27th because I loved it so much. It's it's just it hits right for the holiday season, in my opinion, like it hits all of those themes that we wanted to hit, even though it's not technically a Christmas movie, though it has the, the Christmas scene. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just I, I, I mean, we've talked so much about like the, the performances in this movie are incredible, and that's partially thanks to Greta Gerwig herself. But like this cast is stacked and everybody comes to play. Nobody is treating it as like, oh, Little Women has been done thousands of times over. There's something unique about the portrayals of the characters. Like every time you see the March sisters together when they are in, in, in the past, um, like I think of the scene of when uh, Meg gets brought home from that party by Lori and uh, and Joe, and it's just chaos in the yeah. house. Everybody's talking over each other. You're trying to pick out individual lines of dialogue, but it's just this overlappingness. But then Marmy, Laura Dern, incredible, incredible, incredible. She's still there, and she still manages to get out her lines of, like, don't mind the noise, Mr. Lawrence. We're a little <laughs> bit louder than you might expect. And she asks yeah, if he all wants the cacophony anything. going on. <laughs> Yeah, he asks if he wants any ice for his foot, and he's like, no, I'm fine. And just watching, you feel the same emotions as Lori, watching them interact and watching how natural their bond is. It's, it's, the, 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 
chaos of the early scenes and watching them sort of figure out their dynamics as they're all growing and changing especially especially between joe and amy is so interesting and the performances again like i cannot say enough good things nobody comes to play like just a regular part like saoirse ronan delivers as joe she is joe march as far as i'm concerned um emma watson does a fabulous job as meg even though meg is the least interesting sister um <laughs> a- again Florence Pugh made Amy March likable I don't know how she did it but she did it and I commend her for it and she should have won the Oscar gosh dang it um, and Eliza Scanlon is heartbreakingly good as Beth and Timothy Chalamet is a perfect Laurie and Laura Dern looks like she could be everybody's mom which is so important <laughs> she's as good as Susan Sarandon in the 1990s version as Marmee um Bob Odenkirk's brief role as Mr. March is also very good. Meryl Streep's brief role as Great yes, Aunt March Meryl is Streep. incredible. <laughs> it's I, I can't I can't say enough good things. If I could say if I could tell you how often Lori's failed proposal scene plays in my head and just the the immaculate vibes of that scene and how well the dialogue is written and how well it's performed and the coloring and the setting like I can't I've never been able to get it out of my head yeah I feel that way with the when she's just finished writing her book upstairs um in the attic and you know she's having the conversation with Marmy about Lori's coming with Amy and and she doesn't Joe doesn't know yet that Lori and Amy are married and she's like talking about how she feels so lonely and like if he would propose to her again she would say yes yes. and and I think I think about that scene all the time and how Marmy says but do you love him do you love him and she's like I would rather not feel this way I want to be loved that's more important to me and I just I think about that scene because I've I find it so natural and how she's like one side of her saying how like she wants to be this independent woman who has a career and doesn't need a man but on the other hand she so wants to be loved and I think this is still very conflicting in present day society for women and not enough movies talk about that. Yeah and so to see that echoed by Saoirse Ronan is so so wonderful and I mean I could talk forever about like if you could talk forever about that I could also talk forever about Amy's speech to Laurie about how um, marriage is an economic proposition and how um, if 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 she were to get married and uh, she would be her husband's property and if they they were to have children like they would be considered his property uh as a woman there's no legal way for her to make money outside of the arts when she gets married all of her money would belong to her husband uh so don't tell me that marriage is an economic proposition because it is it may not be for you but it most certainly is for me like Forrest Pugh's delivery of that is so beautiful and just watching her face journey in that scene she starts out so confident she's rehearsed this speech a thousand times over in her head but she looks at Lori in that moment and you see 
the desperation behind her eyes because she knows that her time is up and she ultimately does want the same thing as Joe but she doesn't see a way around it because she's been conditioned by society by her great aunt March who expects her to be a certain way to just accept that even though with Frank she would not get the same freedoms to be as artistic and to be as open and be who she is as she would be with Lori who is Mm -hmm. already this bohemian figure who is a who is a writer who considers himself a bit of a poet or a musician or whatever the case may be. It's just, I could talk about that scene forever. And then when he's unlacing her apron and the tension <laughs> there, oh my God. Okay, I need and her to dress, be And her dress seems so constricting and what she's talking about seems so constricting. Like it just, it's just mm-hmm. like, uh, and, and the way that like, you know, Aunt March says in an earlier scene once, I think it's when Joe cuts her hair, um, and Meg has already kind of decided that she wants to be with the school teacher. Um, she's you're the like, only says, hope for the family now. Yeah, you're the only hope. You're you're the only one left that will actually bring money to the table if you marry well. And that's why she I, she courts that. I, that I'm time. a little. I'm always a little offended that she doesn't <laughs> consider Beth an option. Like she's sweet, they but like she I would get die, it. I guess. <laughs> she she had a feeling. <laughs> That's the one that'll die. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe she's just always going to be the... You know how, like, in some cultures, the youngest has to always take care of the parents? Like, never allowed to get married? Maybe that's how it was. Or Or maybe it was just, like, seeing that Amy had the kind of ambition that she would need in order to be successful in, like, capital S society. Whereas Joe, Joe has always been characterized as, like, the way they describe her in the book is, like, she's, like, a young foal. She's full of energy, ready to bolt at a moment's notice. She's lanky. She's knobby. She's... Uh, she's she's all of these things that Amy is not where Amy is like purposefully graceful and she's trying to be the quote unquote best version of herself even though that best version is the best version that has been fed to her by society because she says in that Christmas scene like it isn't fair that all the other girls get pretty things and we and and we don't just because we're poor like that yeah. is such a societally conditioned belief that she has only because she is in the schoolroom with those other girls and we see that a, a bit of that reflected in Meg too where she wants to have all these pretty things and she wants to have these new shoes and even later when she's married she wants to have this new dress even though it's way out of her family's budget and she has this moment of selfishness but she sell she ends up selling the fabric because she wanted to make it up to her husband even though her husband eventually said you know go get the dress like you deserve to be happy ah there are so many layers and also like just back to to beth never being really an option i think aunt march knew that beth would never be the type of woman to be able to get a rich man that could provide for the family as well she's too shy but all the pressure i mean they never showed that in the other versions of Little Women of how much pressure was on Amy and how she really wished she could be a free spirit too, like Joe, but she was never given that as an option. And she would act out in ways, you know, selfish ways, burning Joe's manuscript and, oh my God, not having another copy back then, no no computers and and no USBs. And, and, you know, she would act out in, in selfish, cruel ways, but it was her way of acting out against society. Yeah. And we see I think, her. Oh, sorry. 
Oh, no, it's okay. You go ahead. No, I was just going to say with, with Meg, what I think is interesting, because she is kind of a, a flat character, but, but Greta Gerwig makes her more interesting too. Um, even though, like you said, she is the most uninteresting. Um, I think it's great that we see that side of her, similar to Amy, wanting, you know, to be a rich debutante girl. When she goes to the debutante ball with, uh, and Laurie sees her, how, how he's kind of put off of how different she's acting, how she's, you know, getting kind of intoxicated and she's making a bit of a fool of herself. And we never saw that side of Meg. We always saw her as this prim and proper girl in the other versions. And I think it's interesting to see her kind of wanting a different life as well, but but in a smaller extent than the others. Yeah. And we do see Amy, like, I think so much about that sort of those first scenes where we meet Amy as an adult. We see her painting this group of people and she's painting on her own. She's sort of happy with her work. But then she looks over at somebody else's and she's suddenly not happy with it. She's not, like, going with the system that she's supposed to be. And I th- and you see that shift on her and she tries to, like, improve hers so that it is more in line with what she, quote-unquote, should be painting. Even though art is purely something that is subjective. And even... Mm-hmm. When we see her with Great Aunt March, she's very restrained and she's very much like this prim and proper lady. But as soon as she sees Lori walking by, it's stop the carriage, Lori! And she jumps out of the carriage and she goes over and yeah. hugs him. And then she gets scolded by Great Aunt March for not being the quote unquote proper young lady um, that she's supposed to be. And I mean, Beth, in a way, too, like she did, in a way, secure somebody who would provide for the family the lawrences are going to remain in their life forever Mm -hmm. because of beth especially laurie's grandfather who gifted her that piano who cared about her so much and you still see that relationship very much affected by beth's death um after her funeral we we see that conversation between um mr lawrence and joe Uh, shortly after her funeral and it's so touching because you can tell that this old man loved Beth so much and he's always going to have a fondness for the marches now not just because his grandson is married to one of them but because of Beth and her kindness yeah ah it's such a good movie ugh the layers I could as it's not if it's not entirely evident so far I could talk about this movie forever (laughs) me too it's it's such a special film and and um it uh, it just seems like so long ago since it came out and it's only been like two years yeah did you ever see Lady Bird I did. I remember every year I try to challenge myself to watch as many of the Best Picture nomination nominees that I can. And I did watch Lady Bird the year it was nominated. And I really loved it. I mean, Beanie Feldstein was also incredible. Uh, but I really I really thought there was something special about Lady Bird. And maybe it was because of the fact that, like, I was a, I was a teen who felt like I was better than my little town and I went off somewhere else to a fancy university and tried to become like a better version of myself but still like was attached to my hometown in some way and now here I am I'm living (laughs) in my parents house I'm recording this from my brother's old bedroom um so I felt very connected to that movie it came about at a really 
interesting time for me. It came about at the right moment, I think. So yes, I have seen Lady Bird and I really loved it. Yeah, it came out when I was in grade 12, I think. Yeah, because I watched it yeah. in, for one of my classes in grade 12 and I thought, well, this is great timing. And um, for those of you that don't know, Sir Ronan and Timothy Chalamet are both in that movie as well. And Greta They're Gerwig Greta Gerwig's favorite. And wrote it about her own her own life. And I think it's interesting that she's picking these um, strong, like whether they're, or not they're original, like Lady Bird was, or like an adaptation like Little Women, she picks these strong films where women are at the center. And out of curiosity, I was just thinking like, is she making another great film? And apparently she's going to direct um, this new movie coming out maybe this year called Barbie starring um yeah margot robbie and um, i forgot she was attached to that so she's directing and i just i'm like oh okay this is like a bit off-putting from what (laughs) it doesn't really feel like her usual fare because lady bird and lady bird and little women were such like awards fair like yes little women was not a giant at the box office it was not a juggernaut it was very much a play for awards because little women always is and i got nominated for a bunch and i believe it won best costumes um but it didn't it didn't win big in any of the categories people hoped it would and i was rooting for every single member of that cast who was nominated i tell you what i know i I was so desperate (laughs) i I wanted florence Pugh to win i really wanted florence Pugh to win because she did the unthinkable as i mentioned and she made amy likable and that is and she added so much nuance and she made it so she added so much nuance and layers to that character joe is already joe is our main character in the novel as well she like all the sisters sort of get equal time but joe is always our sort of focus and who we see the most from and so the way that florence Pugh was able to really add a lot a lot of layers to 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 Amy and what she was going through and I mean under Greta's incredible direction too um I was so upset that she didn't win I was so mad (laughs) um I know and so I was just doing some like research on this Barbie movie and apparently Ryan Gosling is playing Ken question mark like isn't he a bit (sighs) old I don't know what's happening over there. I'm honestly scared to think about it. <laughs> I just, I don't want to see the, apparently all it says on IMDb is that it's a doll living in Barbie land is expelled for not being perfect enough and sets off on an adventure in the real world. A live action feature film based on the Barbie dolls. <laughs> I'm a bit scared, <laughs> but I'll probably watch it. Yeah, I'm... I'd need to see some sort of pictures first. <laughs> yeah. I like when I think of Barbie, I think cuz I was a huge Barbie movie fan from the original movies when I was a kid. And so I'm trying to imagine like a live action Barbie and it's just kind of creeping me out. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> okay, well, Greta Gerwig, hope you'll make a better movie after that one. <laughs> Please. <laughs> um Oh, I wanted to also say there was also a really nice quote um, that Meg says on her wedding day. And I think it's when Joe is trying to convince Meg to like run away and be an actress. And she doesn't yes, need yeah, to get married. She, she says, doesn't need this 
And she says, like, just because my dreams are different than yours doesn't make them unimportant. And I think about that line as well. And I really Mm -hmm. love that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think about, too, about Joe's line before that, where she says, you know, he'll become boring in a few years, but we will be interesting forever. Which is true. Which is true. Um, But I, that line was featured heavily in the trailers. And I think it really encapsulates the movie and the relationship between the four sisters really well because we see each of them sort of pursuing their dreams we see meg falling in love and having a family and all the struggles that come with that we see beth and um and her piano playing and her her health struggles and we see beth and not beth uh amy and joe pursuing their artistic careers and different paths and they all have different dreams, but that does not mean the movie treats them as unimportant. The movie strives to yeah. make sure that every single sister has some sort of resolution. Some more solid than others. Yes. Um, some more definitive resolutions than others. Um, but there is still resolution at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, and the movie doesn't treat the movie doesn't treat Amy's acting out as a child as something that is unimportant and erased when she is an adult. There is still tension between her and Joe when she comes back from Europe. Um, it doesn't treat Meg wanting a family as something that's unimportant. That's still like a part of the movie for a reason. Um, it doesn't treat yeah. Beth's piano playing as something that is unimportant, like we talked about earlier with her relationship with the Lawrences. Now the Lawrences are forever entwined with the Marches because of Beth. Yes. Ah, oh, so special. And I like that even though Meg and, and, and um, um, Beth can be overlooked in, in the book a little bit because they may not have you know, as extravagant dreams or much longer to live. Um, they're still so important in in this movie. And I think that's what makes this version really special as well. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I know Claire Danes, I really liked her as Beth too. And, and Margaret O'Brien's um, our favorite person from Mimi and Sam Famous. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> is in the uh, is in the uh, 1940s version but but there's something about how this one comes to be and it's one of also one of the first times I actually like cried in a the theater um when you know that that the powerful scene of when when she dies but we don't really see her dying I I think that's really special and we just see okay how Joe is processing. yeah oh, it's amazing okay yeah that whole sequence like I was so the first time I watched that sequence, I was so like wrapped up in what was happening. I don't think I was even registering what was happening the first time I yeah. watched it. I just like knew what was coming. But then when I rewatched it and I I knew what was happening at that point, I was able to appreciate so much more the the way they intercut Beth's um brush with scarlet fever versus her heart issues and how that is resolved they were able to mirror how the family had taken care of her then how they were taking care of her now um how they mirrored joe falling asleep in beth's bed and trying her best to take care of her sister and the way that they parallel joe finding out that beth is okay after her brush with scarlet fever she's up and she's eating and then mirroring that with that slow realization that beth is gone it 
I actually like want to cry right now. It is yeah. so heartbreakingly beautiful, and it's the such a difficult. Is so powerful. It's such a difficult thing to do to kill off a character without actually showing it, and to still have that emotional weight. Because in the 90s version, the way that they, they kill Beth is... <laughs> I don't want you to say it so maliciously. The way that Beth dies in the 90s version is still very poignant and very beautiful. But it's a lot mo- it's a lot less subtle. It's a lot yeah. more like hit you over the head with it Her than in breath. this version. <laughs> and it, it just... It hits so beautifully that you realize in that moment with Joe, like what has happened... And that it's not going to be like last time. Which the last time you just saw it. And then to immediately follow it up with the punch of seeing Beth decorating the house for Meg's wedding. I remember saying to myself in the theater when I watched the movie. I was like, that's just rude. I know. No, that's just, that's uncalled for. Yeah, I know. And it kind of made it special because then we didn't lose Beth right away like she still was living through the flashbacks so we didn't have to say goodbye right away which was really interesting uh, an interesting technique as well that i liked Mm -hmm. absolutely it was a nice way to remind us that even though beth might be dead in the present her memory is still so present uh her memory is still so in the minds of everybody even in present day like when when Friedrich plays that piano, uh, when he comes to visit, you can see that yeah. every single person in that room is thinking about Beth and what she meant to them. And I'm actually getting choked up thinking about it. It's just so beautiful. I also loved the seaside scene when when um, Joe takes her to the seaside to to get her. To make her stronger, her strong. and then and then in the flashback part of when they were in the seaside, when Beth was well, and you know Meg wasn't married, and and Joe hadn't, um, and Laurie hadn't said how he felt uh, toward Joe yet, and and how happy yeah. they all were, and Amy that was scene still is there. So that scene is so fun. I love, I love that their scene hats and- so much. <laughs> the hats are incredible and i love the interactions uh the interaction the the little scene mini scene between uh joe and laurie where he tells her about has meg perhaps misplayed a glove and she's like john brooke have it um (laughs) the way that they play off each other in that scene is so wonderful timothy chalamet is having the time of his life oh yeah (laughs) um i wanted to just because i realized i forgot about him what did you think of um frederick bear Oh, Friedrich Bear. Yeah, I really liked him. I think he's, I think in other adaptations, they've cast him a little bit older. And it's easy to feel like it's a little weird. um, Because like Winona Ryder stays the same uh, throughout the 90s adaptation, for example. She stays the same. Exactly. She doesn't age. (laughs) And though Saoirse Ronan also stays the same, they do an excellent job aging her through her wardrobe. And they do an excellent job aging her through her clothing choices. And though she still has, like, her silly little hats, she's still Joe, but she's a more mature Joe. And I think they cast Friedrich young enough where you could still see him as a professor, as an academic, as a scholar, but not so old where it's like, this feels weird. Yeah, he still like has a, a very brother. youth. Yeah, he still, he still has a very youthful uh, and playful energy around him. And the fact that their attraction was so 
understated. Like, you could tell that Friedrich obviously cared for Joe, uh, and you can tell that she cared for him, too, even though neither of them were going to want to say it. Um, the fact that they were able to get across that these two were absolutely head over heels for each other, but neither of them wanted to say anything because they'd maybe been burned in the past. I mean, Joe obviously had been, but we don't know much about Friedrich in this version. Um, the, the fact that we, we were able to tell that through their very few scenes together is, is just wonderful. And I, I will never not laugh at the scene where she like, you know, says goodbye to him closes the door turns around and everybody's staring at her being like yes. joe come on thinking? <laughs> that and, wasn't and an I excuse love- <laughs> and i love the scene um when they're in new york still and they're dancing together in that pub oh. i guess in that beer um, hall, the way the yes. camera follows them, them Ugh. dancing. Oh, it's amazing. And the way, and the way the music fades out into that like sort of dreamy, um, lovely like pian- light piano. I love it so much. The score of this movie is incredible, and I like. There's there are so many tracks on this on the on the score that I love listening to. The the track just titled Amy is gorgeous because it gives a perfect encapsulation of what her character is like in song form. Um, but yeah. there is a song on the track that's sort of like the t- there's a song in the soundtrack that is sort of like the title track I guess of the album. It's called Little Women, and it I like to think of it as like each core instrument on that um, on that song is representative of each sister like there's still a resolution at the end but we have a steady sort of lower cello beat that's like meant to be meg and there's a piano bit that's i think meant to be beth there's a there's a string instrument in there that's going a little bit too wild and that's joe and then amy is the one who's always like staying in time staying in time very proper very restrained but still has these little flourishes every now and again um i i listen to that track and i just feel like i'm listening to all four sisters overlap with each other in conversation like they do in those early scenes and um I feel like, and you still get that resolution at the end. Uh, that's the sort of theme that resonates throughout the movie. Um, and it's just, it's so well put together. Uh, Alexandre Duplat, I believe, did the score. And he does an excellent job with it. It's gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. Highly recommend looking up the score of this movie when you get a chance. Because it's just dreamy. Uh, I love listening to it too. Like People just like have it in the background. When you're on the bus or the, anything the track, you're doing, it's the track for where um, the track is literally called "When Lori Kisses Amy," um, and it's so sweeping and romantic, but you still get those little hints of Amy's theme from earlier. Um, yeah, and it just it works so well together that you can't help but realize that, like in that moment, even if you are somebody who ships Joe and Lori, and I'm not saying that you are wrong in that. There's perfectly valid reasons for that. But even if you are somebody, you listen to that song and you watch their scenes, you can tell that they are what's meant to be together because their music fits really well. Whereas there's a track called Lori and Joe on the Hill where it goes against each other in a still harmonic, but you can tell it's still like a little bit of a clash. And that's really interesting to listen to as well because... 
it's the wanting to have that sweeping romanticism in the music but there's some there's something under there that is going against it and that's what we find out later in the scene is that joe closes herself off from him completely because she's convinced that he can never be happy with somebody like her and eventually she's right it just takes a while to realize that that she was she was also right yeah oh i love it so much (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to ask you um before we move on to some fun facts um Florence Pugh, I'm assuming you like her as an actress since you were so interested uh, wanting her to um, win the Oscar because she was amazing. Oh, I love Florence Pugh. I cannot say enough good <laughs> things about Florence Pugh. So I'm really looking forward um, for the movie Don't Worry Darling, which she's, she'll star in, um, directed yes! by Olivia Wilde. With Harry Styles. Yeah, with Harry Styles? Question mark? Like, Yeah, when, <laughs> when I tell you... When I tell you that that movie is going to be a bisexual maelstrom for me, like, I'm not going to know what's going to happen. I'm not going to know how to feel in my heart of hearts. I really, I, I, I'm still, like, worrying about what my state of being is going to be like when I watch that movie. Well, they're all very beautiful people. They are. That's the problem. From the point of view of someone that's... That I, I'm not bisexual, I even will have a hard time. I will tell you right now. Oh, God, oh, it's just so just... hard. <laughs> I just see that uh, Chris Pine's in it, too, so I, I will die. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I'm so, I just, I love period, like, 1950s. I love the WandaVision when it, like, took place in, like, the 50s and the 60s. So, anytime, like, when when the, and, and I loved Booksmart and, and Olivia Wilde's an excellent director. So, I know yeah, that's going to be Booksmart a really great. great film. I'm just trying to look up when. it's. It, it says it's supposed to come out September of this year. So, there's, Ooh, it's, we'll it's see. far away. <laughs> we'll see. But we'll have to do it on here once it uh, is released. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> I hope it comes out this year. I'd like to see a trailer, please, but we probably won't for a little while. I would rather see that movie instead of Barbie. Yeah, <laughs> That'd me be too. Great. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to ask before we move on to fun facts, why do you think this story, even though it's been like over 150 years, is still so beloved and, and still so special? in today's day and age i think it loops back i think that there's 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 a generational thing to it i was given a copy of little women's uh from 1990 uh from the 90s version um i was given a dvd copy of that by my mom for a holiday i can't remember if it was christmas or easter i think it was easter one year and so i think it's a generational thing like moms pass it down to their daughters and it's something yeah. that everybody can sort of relate to eventually everybody hopefully becomes a marmy um <laughs> um but i think too the various adaptations have hit so well with so many issues that women are still facing today the issues that women are facing today are no different than the issues women were facing in the uh in the 1860s it's just with 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 skinny jeans instead of poop skirts, right? It's yeah. It's it's the the feminine 
aspect of wanting to be a career woman and wanting to be successful in your job and wanting to be able to pursue something creatively when the world is telling you you shouldn't be doing this. You should be pursuing something more sustainable. You should be focusing on getting married. You should be focusing on having a family and raising a family and contributing society that way. Well, why can't women have both? Um, Mm -hmm. And then it loops back to Joe's comment about how even though she's reached this level of success for herself, she still feels so lonely and she still feels like she is not worthy of people's love and attention. Whereas somebody who is quote unquote, a proper woman like Amy is, or somebody who is quote unquote, like a perfect wife, like Meg is. Um, And there's just, that's, that's the biggest thing I think about with this one, especially as somebody who is so interested in English and like, thought about being a writer for a long time and thought about being an actor for a long time professionally uh, but then turned my attention to teaching because it is not only is it something that I found an immense amount of joy in like Joe she does eventually open that school uh, at least in the in the fictional ending she does open that school for um, out, out of Plumfield and becomes a teacher that way not only is it something that's quote-unquote more sustainable but also it still like allows you to be creative in some aspects but that's a whole other can of worms i think (laughs) i think that it's just i hesitate to use the word universal because no experience is ever truly universal no experience is ever going to be truly understood by every person but i think that everybody has moments where they can relate to the characters in some aspect everybody at some point in their life i think has either felt like a meg where they have to be where they're the oldest so they have to be the most responsible um where they're a joe where they just want to be free to do their own thing and not have to worry about their family but then ends up having to provide for them one way or the other uh where they feel like they're a beth where they just want to stay at home and be surrounded by their creature comforts and try to take life slowly and with a lot of purpose um or they feel like an amy where they feel like they have to be what society has deemed them to be um in order to be considered somebody who is worthy period not just of love or attention or societal um approval i think that there are so many layers in each of these four girls and even though they are fictional characters written in the 1860s from the 1860s, these ideas that they are grappling with in the original text and in the various adaptations that have come from it have still stuck around because they are still issues that women are dealing with either professionally or interfamilially or personally like within themselves. And I think that that's why this story stuck around so much because people, no matter what, what point they are in their lives will always be able to see themselves in these characters in some way shape or form each of them have a moment where somebody can be like yeah i've felt that before and Mm -hmm. did i like how that felt why not what what caused me to not like that and i think that that's key it's relatable because in whatever stage of life you know you may not be 15 when you feel that way or you might be 30 but you relate to all four of them at one point in your life mm-hmm. and, and you may relate to them more than once, one character more than once. And I think that's what's so great about the stories because all four of them are so different yet in one lifetime, you can feel like each of them in different stages of yeah. your life. And I think that's such a cool 
aspect and I think that's why it keeps getting remade and and I will be sad when this movie will get remade again because I know it will have a a new (laughs) adaptation and if I have a daughter or 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 someone they'll want to watch it and I'll want to show this one to them first but um, yeah I I think it's so special because each generation has their own version yeah and I think the themes to like we see these themes being explored even today like I think about Joe um and her like being so vehemently like not wanting to get married and what it means for her to be a single woman in her time period and I think about the revival of Company by Stephen Sondheim which is currently on Broadway where they have taken a traditionally male character of Bobby um and made her a made, made him a woman uh, they've gender bent some of the roles specifically Bobby, uh, which started over in the in the UK back in 2018, but now the production is on Broadway, um, and it adds a new layer because Bobby's turning 35 and Bobby's dating three people, oh. but isn't married, and he's surrounded by all of these married friends. Um, he, one of the first lines that Bobby gets to sing is um, these. Um, uh, these these are these like you know these good and crazy people my friends these good and crazy people my married friends um and so it's it's about bobby you know grappling with these questions of like am i ready to get married do i want to get married what does and in this new production it mean it's what does that mean for me as a woman what does it mean for me to be a woman who is still 35 who is still dating who is still single but who wants to get married but feels like they haven't found that person yet even though i've dated so much it feels like i should have met that person already and what does it mean for somebody to be in love in a relationship in this day and age where stuff can be stuff like this can be so fleeting um it's if 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 nobody's familiar with company i hope that's pushed you to go and check it out because it's absolutely incredible um the the 2018 cast recording um where they first did this flipped casting is particularly incredible fun fact fun fact jonathan bailey of bridgerton fame who plays anthony is in that cast oh anthony's the jerk brother right um yeah the oldest one (laughs) the oldest one yeah 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 he's getting his own season (laughs) oh okay um yeah i think there's it's so relatable still just to end this (laughs) this question um because not only can you relate to them but there's so many still so many societal pressures put on women and and the idea that you know the clock is ticking you haven't found the person yet or you know you're not married yet and and I know in those days you didn't live as long so obviously there were (laughs) there were more restraints on on you know when you had the a child and but it's still so much in our society today like looking down on single women or women that don't want to have children and it and I think this is a really timeless story because you know of course in this version and and in in the original book Louisa May Alcott had to marry off or or kill Mm -hmm. all female characters because in those days you couldn't have a single female character by the end of the book. Make sure she, make sure she's dead or married. Yeah, and of course, and you know, it doesn't they don't stay single in this movie? But um, I don't know. It's just it's just a really powerful story. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have a few a few facts. Um, 
Emma Stone was actually going to be Meg. Um, and then she had a conflict with filming the favorite at the same time. So they picked Emma Watson instead. I cannot see Emma Stone in this. She seems too old for me. I don't know. She's too old. Too old. She's too old. It wouldn't have worked. Too modern looking too. No. I'm glad they picked the other yeah, Emma. Emma Watson has this. <laughs> Emma Watson has a very timeless look. Yeah. And I think it's it's and people like people know her for her younger roles as like Hermione and Belle too. Like I think yeah, Beauty and the Beast had like recently come out. So people were very people were very much in the Emma Watson business at that point. Um and she just she sells she I think she sold Beauty and the Beast incredibly well. I that's a controversial take. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm Emma Watson just has a very timeless look about her. And again, she looks like she looks a little bit like Laura Dern. Yeah, that's true. She looks like she's in a period film. Like she's just she just has that face. I don't know. Um Yeah. So absolutely. there was actually they were gonna make a remake of Little Women back in twenty thirteen with Sarah Pauly, um hired to to direct and and do the script and write the script um i don't know if you ever watched route to avalie as a kid i used to watch it all the time when i was growing uh, up yeah yeah i remember it being i remember it being on television yeah. canadian anyway so i guess it didn't ever work out um and then 20 in 2016 greta gerwig um decided to take on the film and she actually wrote the screenplay and Saoirse Ronan found out about it during the set of Lady Bird. And she was like, I'm going to be a, your Joe. There's like some funny, I don't know if you ever watched cast interviews of how Greta Gerwig said she didn't even pick Saoirse Ronan. Saoirse Ronan just came to her and I was, she was like, I will be your Joe. Like, no discussion about and it. And she was perfect for <laughs> oh it. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine anyone else as Joe. Um, I'm trying to think of, you know. No, I, no there's nobody. Nope, nope. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then the rest of the cast was, um, was brought on. Um, Gerwig saw Pew in, um, Lady Macbeth, and she was like, I would like her as Amy, and then she watched a miniseries with Eliza Scanlon, um, called Sharp Objects, and thought she would be perfect for Beth, so I, I like that some of the people were unknown at the time, and, and, um, or just starting out, like Saoirse Ronan and, and, uh, Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, Timothy Chalamet had already had a little bit of a, a little bit of an indie film vibe because of Lady yeah. Bird and because of Call Me by Your Name, which was what he was and most known for at that name. point. Um, but him being cast as Laurie just catapulted him, and then and then he yeah. made Dune, which is a. He's made some strange career choices yeah. after Little Women. He's made some interesting choices. <laughs> There's this movie on Netflix that I always see, like, you know, when, when you're scrolling, and, and it's, like, him as a king. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't think he'd be able to lift that armor, dude. Like, Yeah, he's... You know, like, you're, you're so small. Yeah, it's, like, a really, like, old, like, not old, but it's, like, set way back in, like, medieval times. I've got to... Yeah, medieval times. I've got I've to look that one up. I have to... I, I remember being vaguely interested in wanting to watch that one, so maybe I'll have to go and do that. He's he's had some a beautiful boy. I read the book and the movie's not very good. Sorry to anyone that's a beautiful boy fan. Uh, he has made some strange choices, but um, hopefully he'll uh, he'll get back on track. Again. Well, he's got a do, he's Greta he's Gerwig, got he's baby. got Dune too, <laughs> aka Tune, to film. So. <laughs> 
That is true. That is true. Um, I'm just... So the movie was released exactly 25 years after the 1990 version, uh, 1994 version came out, which is interesting, both on Christmas Day. And Winona Ryder also got nominated for Best Actress, um, like Saoirse Ronan as well, but neither. Ugh. Ugh. Justice for Joe. Justice for Joe. <laughs> and the speech that Amy has um, to Laurie it was an actually in the script. Meryl Streep actually went to Greta Gerwig and said, like, we need a point in this movie where we actually get Amy to share how she feels as a woman during this time. And for, for women that watch this to understand, you know, where how, Amy's coming from, how, yeah, where, where she's coming from and how powerless women were back in the, yeah, because you days. get an idea. And, you, um, good on you, Meryl yeah, Streep. Yeah, <laughs> great job, Meryl Streep. This is why you went to Yale. Um, but <laughs> but it helps. It does really help the audience to understand like where Amy's coming from. If there was not that scene, Amy would not have made such an impact. It made the impact that she did. And I mean, it's such a wonderful departure from Amy's of past because we just see her as somebody who is ambitious and who is cunning and who just like, and then who gets her life flipped around by Lori and not wanting, it, she has a wonderful line too about not wanting to be a replacement Joe and Lori tells her like, you're not like you're Amy and that's, that's what I want, which is beautiful and wonderful. And I could again, talk about that for another hour, but I won't. Um, and yeah. But it's it's it is a really important moment, and it's it's so wonderful to see that departure from previous adaptations and from the book because you see you hear a lot of this inner sort of narration in the book when um, when you see things from Amy's perspective, but you don't see it in a lot of adaptations. So seeing that moment with Amy really really helps people to get where she's coming from. Yeah, and it was given to Florence Pugh minutes, like, the, the the new script for the scene was given to her a few minutes before <laughs> filming. So, Jesus. <laughs> Is she ever talented? Yeah. Deserve the Oscar. <laughs> um, <laughs> my, yeah, my last fact is um, each sister was given a distinctive color uh, for their wardrobe. So, Emma Watson's Meg always wore very lavender uh, like purple or green colors um joe was given you know usual darker colors like red beth always wore pink or brown and then amy was always blue. very light blue. blue and and then marmy laura dern would wear a combination yeah. of those colors throughout the the movie which is so cool yeah oh i love color theory in movies i love it so much <laughs> Oh yeah, and then this movie, um, the budget was forty million, and it ended up making uh, two hundred and eight, uh, two hundred and eighteen. Oh, I thought it made more, two hundred eighteen million. I was reading it like two hundred eighteen billion. <laughs> billion. No, I was like, people like people like lot. little women, no, but people don't like people like little women, but they don't like little women that much. <laughs> so you know, for a time where Marvel movies are making the most movie um, money. Um, I think Little Women did a great yeah, job. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about how dramas don't do well at the box office, but I mean, keep in mind, West Side Story had no room to breathe between being released between like 
I mean, what came out in IMAX right Spider-Man before that? Man. It came right out. It came out right before Spider Man No Way Home and had all its IMAX screens ripped away from it. Um, and I was lucky. I was I was on the ball enough to go and see West Side Story when it opened, so I could see it in IMAX, and it was incredible. But that's the conversation yeah. for another day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like people do still show up for dramas. It's just not as much as this big blockbuster fair. And I think the reason why people showed up for Little Women is again because it's a generational thing, but also because this cast was stacked. Yeah. It had a and I how Greta Gerwig did it, I have no idea, but great mm-hmm. on her. So should we move on to the the final I th- judgment, which I, I think everyone will I, know the I think, don't think there will be any surprises <laughs> here, considering how much we've rambled absolutely about this movie. <laughs> so did Little Women move you or not? I mean, obviously, it's not. It should be painfully obvious. <laughs> I can't. I feel like if I say more about this movie, this episode will be another hour and nobody needs that. Um, <laughs> it's one of my it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And that is very high praise. I watch a lot of movies. Um, Little Women 2019 is something so incredibly special. And now that it's on Canadian Netflix, hopefully more people discover it and have as deep of an appreciation from a craft perspective, from a performance perspective, from a story perspective as those of us who already know the movie and love the movie do yeah of course it moved me too um it was so special watching it twice in the theater especially when you know it was one of the last times i went to the theater before the pandemic and and that's really really amazing too to think now and and i think Mm -hmm. that just being alive during a time when there's such amazing actresses out there playing such amazing strong female roles and and you know a director out there making these films around the time when I am you know the age of those characters was really special Mm -hmm. as well um because that doesn't always happen to a lot of people and it was like Lady Bird and then Little Women and I was like wow (laughs) good job Greta Gerwig (laughs) and 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 just Mm -hmm. Saoirse Ronan as Joe I mean I've never seen anyone be able to take a character that's so, you know, I mean, the amount of pressure on characters so well known and be able to yeah. bring it and then also make her version the the one that people think of all the time. I have no idea how she did it, but she did. It's, and the, it's so iconic. Yeah. It's so iconic. Ugh. It's such a feminist. Joe is such a feminist icon. So the fact that she was able to she demanded that she be joe and knocked yeah. it out of the park to that extent yeah it, it's just and 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 the chemistry between all the 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 women um together i i don't know what greta Gerwig did if they you know sometimes directors will make actors like live together for a short amount of period of time just to you know have that chemistry seem natural and organic and whatever yeah. they, she did with them yeah. it worked because it really felt like they were sisters and they grew up together and the costumes oh can't say enough i'm so glad it did get an oscar uh, very happy about that and just the way mm-hmm. you know it wasn't filmed in chronological order makes this movie so much more rewatchable as well and special yeah the details the details are incredible well i want to thank you hannah for suggesting this movie 
Of course. I'm, as you can tell, happy to talk about <laughs> this movie for an extended period of time. And yeah, and we, did, we didn't get to do it during Christmas, but that's okay. We, we got to do it before. You know, there's still the winter season. It's like a month later. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Little women season is all year round. Yes. And I want to thank you all for listening. And if you have any film suggestions you'd like us to do, you can email me at emmareviewsmovies at gmail.com. And don't forget to click the subscribe button. Thank you for listening. <laughs>